Yeah, good morning, guys. Welcome to Trailhead Church. My name is Steve, and I am the lead pastor, and uh, happy anniversary. This is our six-year anniversary. It's pretty sweet. Uh, as I look around, I see some faces that were here uh, at the very beginning. Um, seven years ago, as we gathered and uh, dreamed and and, uh, and then a lot of faces that have joined us over the years since. And uh, it's a great, great privilege to be part of what God is doing here. And I'm incredibly glad that we get to celebrate um, together. And we're going to celebrate today in the best way I can think of, which is to open the Word of God and meet Jesus. So let's grab our Bibles and uh, let's go over to Ephesians chapter 1. If you don't have a, gra- a Bible, go ahead and grab one off the chair around you. And in our Bibles, we're going over to page 976, page 976, Ephesians chapter 1. We started a series last week, um, a series for the new year. We're looking at Paul's prayer for the Ephesians and uh, talking about how really it is appropriate for us today as we think about new beginnings, as we kind of think about starting a new year and, and um, uh, all the resolutions and and all the ways we approach life. So let's take a look at Ephesians 1 and kind of dig into this. We're going to be looking at Ephesians 1 starting in verse 15 and reading through verse 23. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, what is the immeasurable greatness of the power, his power, toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills all in all. The word of the Lord. All right, you guys, well, happy anniversary. Um, we're going to celebrate this morning, as I said, by, by digging into the word. I want to invite you. We're going to continue the celebration through the month on um, Friday um, January 20th, we're going to be having a worship night here. Uh, information about that is in your bulletin. Um, but we're going to be just gathering to sing and praise God. And we're going to have some kids, I think, involved. I think I heard that. And uh, that's always entertaining and interesting. And, uh, and so I invite you to come out and, and sing with us and worship with us on Friday, January 20th. And then on Sunday, January 29th, We're going to do something a little different. We're we're going to do something that we're calling Heights at Trailhead. We're actually going to be bringing in uh, Corey Johnston and his worship um, team, and they're going to be leading our service. If you don't know, Heights is our daughter church. We sent Corey out to plant a church in Collinsville about three years ago, and uh, they've been um, down there and doing a great job. And so um, as part of our celebration of what God has done and is doing in Trailhead Church. We're going to be bringing in um, Heights, and they're going to be leading us in worship on the 29th. All right. Um, oh, and one more thing, just so you know, we've set up our baptismal. Um, this is our first time in the new building having set this up. 
and um, we don't have anybody scheduled to get baptized today, um, but that doesn't mean we won't end up having somebody baptized today. I'll give you an invitation toward that later, just kind of dropping that. Uh, we'll talk more about that at the end of the sermon. All right, today um, we're going to continue our New, New Year series looking at Paul's prayer for the Ephesians, and today we're going to talk about the power of hope, specifically. Um, the anticipation of a hope that's about to be fulfilled is probably one of the greatest feelings in life, isn't it? When you really want something and, and, and you've been waiting for it and you can just like see it in front of you, that, that longing, that yearning, um, coupled with an expectation of fulfillment, I mean, that really is an incredible feeling. The disappointment of a hope that isn't fulfilled is one of the most painful feelings in the world. When you have that yearning and that longing and you're looking for that thing and then it fails you. It either doesn't come to fruition or it isn't what you hoped it would be. That is one of the most painful feelings in the world. You guys, that's why we need to examine our hope. Because where we place our hope makes all the difference. There is no hope more secure than the hope of his calling because it will give us strength to endure suffering and hardship it will give you the energy you need to do hard things and it will always in the end keep its word it never disappoints so we're going to dig into this last week we looked at the first part of this prayer and um, if you missed last week's sermon a lot of you were uh we're, we're traveling. Um, I'm going to assume everybody was traveling instead of hungover. Um, but uh, if you missed last week's sermon, it is online. And, uh, and I want to invite you to uh, jump online and, and listen to it um, because I believe it's uh, a, an important sermon to help set up this series. Um, but I want to review one key idea in it because it's applicable to us today, and that's in verse 17. Paul is praying for the Ephesian church and for us, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, the one who, from whom all glories flow, may give to you a spirit, or the spirit, the Holy Spirit, of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. So Paul is praying that the Father of glory would give us a fresh experience as followers of Christ of his spirit, right? To enlighten the eyes of our heart. That's a kind of a strange phrase. Right? I seriously doubt you've used it this week, right? as you were setting up your fantasy baseball teams or planning your menus. Right? I don't know the last time we probably casually talked about the, the eyes of our hearts. It's a strange phrase uh, because our eyes don't have hearts. Uh, but we do know that Paul is talking about something significant, something deeper than physical eyes, right? because we all know we see in different ways. Right, you have physical eyes, and with your physical eyes, you, you, you see a car. You see a house, right? Those are, those are things that you see, but, but you see a lot more than a car or a house, right? You have eyes in your head, but there are eyes in your heart. And in the eyes of your heart, you see with desire. You see with value, not just the physical representation. All right, guys, I've got a question for you. This one's for the guys. How many of you, and let's raise your hand, how many of you would rather have an SUV than a minivan? 
Raise your hands. All right, that's a lot of hands. Um, and I, I understand. Why? Why? I mean, think about it, you guys. They're, they're both large vehicles. They seat many people. They, they give you flexibility to haul things. In fact, I'd argue that minivans give you more flexibility with their stow-and-go seats and their sliding doors, right? SUVs just have doors, right? It's like, try to get a sheet of plywood in there. Yeah, good luck, right? But we, we want SUVs. We don't want minivans um, because when we see with our eyes, we also see with our heart, and we have to admit that there's something about a minivan that just feels like giving up, right? <laughs> I mean, it's true. Because we see not just with our eyes, but with our hearts. You see the thing, but you also see status. You also see influence. You also see power. And what is true for cars and houses and physical things you look at is honestly true for for all of life. There are layers of seeing. And the deepest layers of seeing are not done with our physical eyes. They are done with the eyes of our heart. That's where we assign value. That's where we see uh, with our desires. So Paul is praying that God would enlighten the eyes of our hearts this deeper way of seeing where we assign value because that's honestly where, where, that's where we make true decisions. That's where we set the course of our lives, not with our physical eyes, but with the eyes of our heart. And if God enlightens the eyes of our hearts, it enables us to chase what is truly worth chasing and to conquer what is truly worth conquering and, and to pursue what's truly worth pursuing. And as I mentioned last week, the grammar here is important. Having the eyes uh, of your heart enlightened. The verb there is a present perfect tense, which all that means is that it's something that happened in the past that has ongoing current um, uh, significance, value. So you, a believer in Christ, your eyes were enlightened when you believed in Christ. But you need to have your eyes continually enlightened. You, You need to be continually seeing the world through the lens of God's love and through the lens of the gospel. You need to have that continual refreshment of the eyes of your heart. It happened in the past, but you need the ongoing present effects of it. So it is, it is important of the tense, but it's also important in its voice. It is passive voice, which means that it is something that is done to you and not something you do. You can't enlighten the eyes of your own heart. You can't do it. You need your eyes enlightened. You need God to do this for you. Because your eyes are set in a very specific way of seeing. Your value system is shaped by your culture, your upbringing, and honestly, your sin. And you need God to come in and, and, and change the way you see, change the way you value, change the way you uh, interact with the world. That's why it is passive, because it is something you need to receive as opposed to something you need to do. So Paul is praying that the Father of glory would give us his spirit in a way that would continually and progressively enlighten the eyes of our hearts, inform the way we assign value so we don't waste our lives on the wrong goals. Now, this morning is where we're going to go. The way that affects our lives is it begins with our hope, right? Take a look again at at verses 17, but we're going to add 18. 
We're, we're praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and a revelation of the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, so that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. That you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. The New American Standard Version, um, which is just a different English version of the Bible, says that you may know the hope of his calling. I like that phrasing better, so I'm going to stick with that. It means essentially the same thing, right? And, And in this phrase are two words that we need to pay attention to, hope and calling, right? Hope is a word that we use a lot. Uh, It is usually a way that we imply that something is a long shot, right? That that something is not likely to happen, but at least we still have hope, right? The idea there being that that hope is is something that um, is kind of your last resort, right? I hope you feel better soon. I I hope you get that job. Uh, Buddy, I hope you find your dad, right? Man, that's a long shot. There was an elf reference there in case you missed it. Um, man, that's a, a long shot, but it could happen, right? But you guys, that's a deficient understanding of hope because hope isn't just about the long shots. It's about every shot. Hope is the energy of the soul. Let me say that again. Hope is the energy of the soul. It is the, it is the engine that drives all of our actions. There's a gap between you and what you want, between who you are and who you want to be, what you have and what you want to have, what you're experiencing and what you want to experience. There is a gap between you and what you are hoping for. And hope is the energy that gives you the strength to cross that gap because that gap is going to involve suffering. If nothing else, the suffering of waiting. That gap is going to offer challenges. That, that gap is going to, to offer setbacks. That gap is, is, is not easily and immediately crossable. Hope is what gives you the energy to cross that gap. The bigger the gap, the stronger the hope has to be, right? Now, we've all done this. We all know this, right? Most of us have struggled through college, Right? Whether you went through a two-year in associates or a four-year bachelor's or uh, a six-year or an eight-year program, right? hope is what gives you the ability to cross that gap. I mean, that's a big commitment. You're giving up a lot. And, and honestly, there are little gaps all along the way that, that help you get through that, right? The hope of getting a good grade, the hope of achieving well, the hope of getting a scholarship, the hope of getting recognition. Whatever. There's lots of little hopes that go into that big hope, but, but you need a big hope that helps you cross that big gap gap, right? Hope influences everything. First time you go on a date with somebody, (laughs) hope, right? Who wants to go through the awkwardness of of a first date, right? But, But hope is what gives you the energy to cross that gap. Hope is what gives you the energy to fight for your marriage when things are difficult and when you can't see eye to eye, right? Hope is, is, is what motivates you to go to a movie, right? You go to a movie hoping for a specific experience or outcome, and more often than not are probably disappointed in that. Um, But you hope again, right? Hope is what gives us the energy to to cross that gap. Hope is why you get up in the morning. So there's a gap that has to be crossed, and hope is the energy of the soul. 
It's what enables us to move across that gap. And the stronger the hope, the more energy it gives you. You've experienced this. The stronger the hope, the more energy it gives you. You can do really, really hard things, and they don't seem as hard. You can go through very, very painful situations, and they seem less painful because the hope is strong enough that it gives you a greater engine to push through. So hope is wonderful, and it's non-negotiable. We need hope. Hope is, is the, the energy of everyday life, right? Hope is wonderful, but hope is also dangerous because sometimes our energy is driven by false hopes, right? Give me an example. I, I like to eat. I don't know about you, but I enjoy good food, and I like to eat, and that means when I'm hungry and there's a gap, I'll cross the gap, right? I like to eat. I will, I will eat whatever happens to be available. There are times, though, that, that my hope goes towards something specific. I love a good steak, um, and, and there are times when you might actually find me on my back patio in sub-freezing weather wearing my parka and my gloves grilling a steak. Why would I do that? Hope right? Hope. I want that steak in my mouth, right? I, ooh, I mean, it's just like I want it now. And so, and so the hope is strong enough that it propels me through the hardship, right? I don't even, I'm out there singing and dancing on my patio. It is sub-freezing. I'm wearing a parka. My grill is crying, right? But I'm more than happy to do it because there's a big gap and there's a big Hope. But here's the thing, I'm also an emotional eater, which means sometimes I don't eat to quiet my hunger. Sometimes I eat to dull my pain. Some, some hurt that I'm experiencing, some anxiety that uh, I, I want to escape from, some fear that I don't want to face, I feel insecure, so I eat a dozen cookies. It's what I do. I love cookies, right? So I eat a lot of them. That's a false hope. Now, here's what happens. The pleasure of the cookies distract me from my pain, but they don't solve the problem. They don't actually bridge the gap. And so while I am distracted in the short term from what I'm trying to run from, it doesn't in the long term get me where I need to or I want to go. And as a result, while it distracts me, it isn't actually addressing my real emotional distress, my loneliness or my insecurity, or my fear, or my hurt. And in the end, it leaves me even more lonely and even more sad than when I started. In fact, it only increases the pain of the gap between what I am and what I want to be, what I'm experiencing and what I want to experience. So you guys, there are a few things more wonderful than experiencing the anticipation that comes with hope the thrill of something deeply desired right there in front of you. And there are a few things more devastating than having that hope disappointed. When you get what you anticipated, but it's not what you hoped it would be. When you get what you worked for, but it hasn't done for you what you desperately wanted it to do for you, and it lets you down. And that's why, honestly, some of you are afraid of hope. You have been disappointed too many times. And you get disappointed enough, you start feeling shame. And that shame comes in 
and it stifles your ability to hope. It's like the kid whose dad has promised to show up a dozen times and never does. And the dad promises one more time. And the kid despises himself because he can't stop his heart responding in hope because he knows it's going to be disappointed. That's when you get angry at the hope. That's when you start trying to shut it down. You run from it because there are a few things more painful than a hope that does not come to fruition. And it fills us with a sense of shame that makes us want to hide and run. The greater the hope, the greater the pain when it lets you down. Listen, you guys, that's why we need the Spirit to enlighten the eyes of our hearts so that we may know what is the hope of His calling. See, when you become a follower of Jesus, when you believe the gospel, you are, your sins are forgiven, right? God, Jesus died and rose again that you might be forgiven of, of your sins and your shame might be removed and your record might be left on the cross and his record of resurrection might cover you. That's all true. When you believe in Jesus, you stand covered in his resurrection. And, and, and everything you've done and everything you're doing and everything you will do that's wrong, he, he has removed the penalty and the guilt and, and, and that's all great and that is all very true. But you also received, not just with your forgiveness, a, a new start, but you received a new calling on your life. God called you out of your past life of empty pursuits, and he calls you to a new life of new hope. Listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, he has a calling for your life. He has a purpose for you, right? I'm not just talking about like a lot of times we talk about a calling in the Christian life. Well, pastors have been called and missionaries have been called. And Man, I don't know if I'm called. I mean, that language is so unbiblical, it's not even funny. Every believer has a calling. Your calling may be to work at Boeing. Your, your calling may be to, to be a landscaper. Your, your calling may be to, to be an artist. My calling may be to invest my life uh, completely in, in the work of the spreading and deepening of the gospel. But, but there's a calling on our lives. And we are called to focus our eyes on the hope of that calling. See, most of us, I think, know this. I don't think this is new news to most of us. The challenge isn't that we don't know that God has a calling on our lives. The challenge is we don't like it because often his calling competes with ours. We don't like it when God's showing up and messing with our hopes <laughs> because for us to step away from certain hopes even false hopes that have let us down over and over and over, it can feel like death. It feels like disappointment. It feels like shame. When we've turned to the same things over and over and over again, even though we know they disappointed us, it can be very threatening when God shows up and says you've got your hope in the wrong thing. You're chasing the wrong goal. I'll give you an example. Um, I wasn't raised uh, with a lot of money. Um, my mom worked really hard and uh, worked multiple jobs, and, and my dad was faithful to send a check every month, for which that I'm very grateful. But we never had a lot of money, and as a result, if we wanted something, we had to work really hard to get it. And, and so, I mean, I remember lying <laughs> on a job application 
about my age so that I could go to work in a pizza parlor so I could earn money in the evenings when I was like, I don't know, 12 or 13. And they fired me later because I wasn't a very good worker, which that happens. But what ends up happening is, is that shaped in me not only a need to work hard, but also a need for frugality. Um, I, uh, I got to the point where I didn't want to just get what I wanted. I wanted to get it for the best price I could get it. Anybody relate with this? Like, like I wanted to get the thing I wanted, but I also wanted to get it at the price no one else could get it at. And, and so I didn't even realize how much of a value this became in my family. Like my brother and I, man, he'd be telling me, hey, Steve, I got this thing, man. And, and my first question, well, what'd you get it for? And that was the real boast, not the thing, but what a great deal you got on the thing. And then there's always a story about how you found it on Craigslist and you did this great bargaining thing and you got it at this whatever. And, and, and so my brother and I competed in this way. And um, it wasn't just guess what I got, it was always guess what I paid. And ironically, I've passed that on to my kids. I've noticed they do the same thing. They'll show up with new things. and like, Dad, look what I bought. And their first question, guess how much I got it for? I mean, it's just this, this thing that I've, I valued and I passed on to my kids. It wasn't even, a, wasn't even a, a intentional. It became a family joke, right? Because I remember one time all of us sitting around and I had this conversation with my kids. And I'm like, look, man, I'm just teaching you to be frugal. Frugality is important, right? And my daughter, who's very good with words, said, no, Dad, you're just trapped by cheapness. And, <laughs> and so that phrase, being trapped by cheapness, has become the label by which but it doesn't change the fact that that still is, is a hope in my heart, right? Now, here's the thing. God called me to start this church. There's a very specific time where God kind of intervened in our lives, and, and there was no doubt. I knew I needed to move to Edwardsville. I knew, I knew that to be obedient, I had to follow this path, and, and so we did. Um, we ended up selling our house in St. Louis, and, and my competitive nature, you know, I had to get top dollar for it, and so I drove my realtor absolutely crazy, um, we went back and forth and back and forth, back and forth, and finally they, they came in $1,000 less than our asking price. And I was like, no. They've come back this many times, they're not going away, right? They want this thing. No. They're going to pay that $1,000. So I ended up throwing in like my, my riding lawnmower in the end to compensate, but, but that's how, that, that was like, so I was able to go to my brother and be like, dude, I sold my house. See, how much you get for it? Asking price, man. Like, who gets that? right? I did that thing, right? So then we moved here. And that same hope drove me, right? That I would get a good house that would serve our needs, that would be centrally located, that would not be a lot of work, that would free me up to focus on planting the church instead of fixing the house. And and it goes without saying that I also wanted to make sure I was getting the best deal. Now, not going into crazy detail, God intervened and actually made it very clear which house we were supposed to get. This doesn't happen a lot, but it happens occasionally. Lauren had some, some prophetic dreams, and, and she told me about them, and they were very specific. She had some prophetic prayer moments where she, she literally was shaking, and she's like, I don't want to tell you what, what I feel like God just told me. And, and I'm like, nah, come on. Let's. But they were very specific. And, and this was all before we even had really gotten very active in the house hunt, and, and it all happened. Like, it all happened. And it was this house and, and, and so it was really clear. Like, I'm like, Lord, I guess you want us to get this specific house. And, um, and so we, we worked on it. Now, here's the challenge, you guys. Um, 
We overpaid for that house. At least in my estimation. I wanted to get the best house for the least money in all of Edwardsville. That's what I wanted. <laughs> That's not what I got. I got a house where I paid actually a little above market value. It was actually a fair price plus a little, which killed me. It killed me. You know why? Because when I called my brother, he's like, so you got a house. That's awesome. Tell me about it. How much you pay for it? And what's it worth? And I remember, like, there was a knot in my stomach where I had to tell him, I think we paid market value. And you're like, so what? No, for me, that felt like death. That felt like shame. Because my brother's like, oh, all right. That's good for you, man, right? I mean, there's like, like, I didn't measure up. I lost the competition. Here's the thing, you guys. I had a false hope. And it was based on my calling, not God's. My calling. I believe that I am worth more when I get a better deal. I'm, I'm more successful. When I get the best deal and I'm worthy of my brother's admiration. And God was saying, no. Sometimes my calling is going to ask you to overpay. Sometimes my calling is going to ask you to pay the fair price instead of the best price. Sometimes my calling is going to ask you to be generous instead of frugal. Instead of being trapped by cheapness. So I did it. And I don't regret it. Now, I'm not going to say that it hasn't since at times still kind of done that little thing in me where I'm like, ah, oh, man, I know there were better deals on the market at that time, but, but I don't regret it. I didn't get the best deal, but I got something that was way better. I mean, the house was perfect for us. It allowed us to focus on planning the church instead of fixing the house. It was half a mile from the high school so my kids could walk back and forth to school, and, and, and it allowed us to just host people and focus on relationships, and I was able to plant this church. And God blessed. So, you guys, as we close, I want to point you to this better hope and specifically how it plays out. And, and these are just a few examples. But I think his calling, while it challenges our calling, is always going to lead us to a better and more fulfilling hope. So first of all, as we think about the hope of his calling, central in this is that God's going to make you more like Jesus. This is one of the central hopes of the Christian life. One of the central things that drive us. So my hope, my hope is that I'm going to succeed. That's what drives me. I like to be a success. I like to be restrict, uh, respected. I like, I like when I invest energy to get proper returns. When I work hard, I, I, like, to make, I, I like to see returns on that investment, right? Which means I don't like to struggle, and I don't like to experience uh, what I call unnecessary pain, right? There's always pain in achieving goals. I don't like the pain that's lateral pain, the kind of pain that doesn't take me anywhere um, and seems to be a distraction, right? Because the, the bottom line is I really have a hope. My hope is for a low-maintenance, hassle-free life. That's, that's my hope, right? God's calling, though, his calling isn't about comfort. His calling is about transformation. And that's a different hope. And in fact, I would say a contradictory hope. Very real sense in which his calling is going to challenge your calling. 
the hope of his calling as opposed to the hope of, of your vision and your, your goal and your purpose. Because I've had some frustrations this week. I've had some, some challenge, challenging things going on, right? I got this stupid illness that just won't go away, right? Ever since November, and it just came back yesterday. Knocked me out, right? And as a result, um, you know, uh, couldn't get a lot of stuff done, couldn't enjoy a Saturday, right? There were some things this week that didn't go ho- as I hoped they would. There were some conversations that, that weren't as profitable as I hoped they were, people that I was investing in that, that man, I'm, just, I'm not seeing the fruit of the investment, right? I worked hard, but the results weren't there. And here's the thing. If my hope is in easy results, if my hope is in reasonable people, I'm going to become frustrated. I'm going to become resentful. I'm going to become angry because when I try to bridge the gap and I can't get there, I'm going to to face pain and anger and shame. If my hope is for easy results and reasonable people, I'll be disappointed. So I've been running this week to Philippians 1.14. Like I've just been quoting this in my head this week, and, and I'm telling you, this has been very helpful for me. Philippians 1.14 or 1.4 says... I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ, uh, the day of Jesus. <coughs> this is a different hope. Like, like, what this did, as I quoted this, as I kind of sat in this, as I thought about this, is it, re- it challenged my hope and recentered it. So instead of hoping for a specific result or, or a specific outcome or a specific benefit, it shifted Lord, you're at work in me. You started a good work in me when I believed in Jesus, and and you will complete that work until the day of Christ Jesus. In other words, there's a progressive sense in which you're making me more like Jesus. And that means you're doing that right now. That means that in this frustrating situation, you're at work. It means in my, my disappointment at how things are turning out right now, you're at work. It means even though I'm putting in all this lateral energy, or at least it feels like it, and I'm not getting any forward progress, you're at work. And what ends up happening is when you recenter your hope on his calling, it re-energizes your soul. It allows me to go through those difficult things with a very different attitude, a very different experience, a very different perspective, right? So our hope is that God will make us more like Jesus, not that we will have a low-maintenance, hassle-free life, right? Uh, another hope is that God will meet your need for significance in his love. See, the, the Bible warns us a, against being what it calls men-pleasers. Um, Paul says in, in um, Galatians 2 that, that he, uh, if he were still being a, a man-pleaser, he, he would not even be pursuing Christ. And to be a man-pleaser very simply means that you're setting your hope on the admiration and respect of others. So for me, the way that plays out is um, I have a deep need for respect. I just know that about myself. I, in fact, I would rather you respect me than like me. That has always kind of been the case. I, I would rather somebody um, uh, uh, think of me with uh, a certain weightiness uh, as opposed to feel fond toward me. You might be the exact opposite. For you, it might be, I, I don't need people to respect me, but I do need them to like me. 
Like, I hate it when I think people don't like me. I can't stand it when, when, when I feel like somebody, in fact, if somebody doesn't like me, I can't even stop thinking about that person, right? You got 100 people who like you, and you're thinking about the one person who doesn't. You know what I'm saying? Right? Like, you get obsessed because you have this, this need. That, that, that need, what's going on there is, is your need for acceptance, your need for significance. You're, you're trying to bridge this gap right? I don't feel significant. I want to feel significant. I want to feel loved. I don't feel loved. I want to feel important. I don't feel important. You're trying to bridge the gap with the affection or the respect of people. It's a false hope because that hope cannot actually bridge the gap, right? So some of you try to do it by winning people's affection. Some people like me try to do it by winning people's respect. In the end, it only leads to disappointment. All right, let me start give you another verse, Galatians 2.20. Paul says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In context, um, Paul is talking about either living a life by accomplishment, by, by obeying rules and, and measuring up and, and earning people's respect. Paul was a respect guy, and he got that respect by his his radical obedience to the Old Testament law. And what he's saying is, I have a completely new paradigm. I have a new hope that allows me to engage my life. I've been crucified with Christ. That person who was driven by their need for people's respect, that person's dead. That person died on the cross. That hope died on the cross. That false hope. That need for people's acceptance. That need for people's respect. That, 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 that's no longer what drives me, right? It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live by the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Not, not by my need for people's approval, not by my need for people's respect, but because I've already received the approval, I've already received the respect in Christ. He loved me and gave himself for me. That's what feeds my need for approval. That's what feeds my need for, for significance and worth. It's a shift of hope. I'm not going to live for the approval of man. I'm, I'm going to live from the approval of God, right? The hope of his calling. Thirdly, God will free you into a joy of contentment more satisfying than money. And I'm uh, being very specific there because I think this is one of our, one of our real challenges. Wealth is one of the, the biggest false gods in our culture. It really is. We love money. And we love people with money. We automatically value them more. We just do. If somebody shows up in a jalopy and somebody else shows up in a Lamborghini, you're going to be much more likely to give deference to the person than a more expensive car. You're going to think about them differently. Why? Because in our culture, we idolize money. We think money really is the, the thing that, that makes us worthwhile or important. You guys, money isn't evil. But the Bible tells us that the love of money leads to all kinds of evil and all kinds of sorrow. And if we're honest, most of us just don't believe it, right? Most of us would say, well, that's a lesson I'd like to learn the hard way. You know, I'd just give me a billion dollars. I'll figure it out. If it brings me sorrow, well, at least I'll have fun doing it, right? I mean, really, most of us are like, like that, that's, okay, that's a failure I'd like to have, right? Because we don't believe it. We just don't. We really believe that, that, that money is the answer to everything, as, as Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, this idea that money, 
is, is really the answer for everything. You know why? Because money really speaks to so many of our, of our hopes, right? Money speaks to our need and our hope for significance. Money speaks to our hope for, for comfort. Money speaks to our hope for security. Money speaks to our hope for approval. And so we, we turn to this false hope. All right, 1 Timothy 6, 6 and 7 says this, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Pause there. <laughs> you want to know what true wealth is? Godliness with contentment. A life that is lived in imitation of Jesus, actually experiencing the overflow and the blessings of his presence and relationship with God through the Spirit. Godliness with contentment. Resting in what God has done, resting in the love of God, resting in what God has paid for you, resting in, in the fact that he is changing you into the image of Jesus, resting in the fact that, that you worship a God of resurrection, that this is not all there is. Godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these things, we will be content. You know what's of greater value than money? Not lusting after money. Do you realize how much pain we inflict on ourselves through our continual feeding of our dissatisfactions? Nothing we have is good enough. Nothing we have is big enough. Nothing we have is entertaining enough. Nothing we have is satisfying enough. And we plague ourselves and keep running to this false hope, thinking that it's going to actually lead us into a genuine experience of comfort, and it won't. Or a genuine experience of, of, of significance, and it won't. It's a false hope. See, there's a very different kind of wealth that bridges the gap to what we need, and that wealth is the wealth of love. Of being rich in your experience, the love of God. The richest person is the one who is most content. The richest person is the one who has the most joy. The richest person is the one who is most deeply fed by God's love for them. Because they stop running to the things that don't satisfy. Stop turning to the hopes that can't get them where they want to go. All right, if these things don't make sense to you, if you're like Steve, I hear you, but you're in good company. Okay? You're in good company. Right? I get it. If you want to avoid pain more than you want to become like Jesus, I get it. If you crave the praise of men more than you want the praise of God, I get it. If you lust after money instead of greater contentment, believe me, I get it. So I don't want you to be condemned by that. But I don't want you to give up either. Do you understand that's exactly what this prayer is about? See, God has to enlighten the eyes of your heart for you to see these things. Right? Because there's one little word here, right? Having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. That you might know 
Like, like I not only see it, I am completely persuaded of it. I know the hope of, of, of his calling is greater than the hope of my calling, that, that the hope that he leads me to is greater than, than the deceptive hopes that want to allure my heart. I know it. You can only know it if God enlightens your heart. If God enlightens the eyes of your heart, you'll see it. And once you see it, you won't be able to unsee it, or at least not in the same way. It's not that you can't become deceived again, but, but we move progressively into seeing it more and more clearly. This is why we need to begin not by reforming ourselves or fixing ourselves, but by humbling ourselves. And once again, coming to the God who has paid the price to win our soul and to say, Father of glory, will you give me a fresh experience of the Spirit that he might enlighten the eyes of my heart, that I might know what is the hope of your calling? All right, you guys, I'm going to wrap up. We're going to be putting some reflection questions on the screen. <coughs> uh, but before we move into reflection, I do want to let you know that, that we do have the baptismal set up. So here's the deal. If you've believed in Jesus, but you've never been dunked, there's your opportunity. Like, for real. Like, you came here dry, you get to go home wet. Well, not really. We'll give you a towel. In fact, we'll give you clothes, right? We've got, we've got what you need, right? We've got, we've got sweats and, 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 yes, even underwear. Yeah, we got you covered. And so um, if you have believed in Jesus but you haven't been baptized, here's the thing Jesus says, right? He said, I want you to believe and be baptized, right? That is the outward symbol of an inward faith. It is an outward declaration of an inward reality, and so it is an issue of obedience when we submit ourselves and say, yes, I, I want to be baptized because I have believed this message. And as you go into the water and back out, as a, it is a beautiful symbol of your new life in Christ. that You have been buried together with Christ in death and raised with Christ to a new identity, a new name, and a new hope. So if you've believed in Jesus and you have not been baptized... I'm going to encourage you to go to Connection Point, which is right out there in the lobby. We'll have some, some leaders out there that will be more than happy to talk with you to, to make sure that we just want to kind of make sure it's the right move for you, make sure you understand what it is and, and all the rest of that. But we'll get you baptized this morning, right? We'll do it right here. So uh, let me go ahead and um, pray for us. We're going to go into a time of reflection. Um, if you do want to be baptized this morning, if the Spirit is... Like, if you believe and you haven't been baptized, man, here's your chance. So uh, go out to Connection Point, and um, I'll announce uh, if we have some baptisms so you all can stick around and celebrate with us, okay? So let me pray for us. We'll go into a time of response. Father, I thank you that um, (coughs) 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 that you have called us to a greater hope than the hopes that drive our lives. You have called us to the hope of your Son. You have called us to the hope of resurrection. You have called us to the hope that we might be what we are created to be, that we might truly feast on what truly satisfies. Lord, I pray that you'll give us the courage to expose our false hopes, the ones we have built so much of our identity on, put so much trust in, even though they've disappointed us over and over and over again. 
Spirit, I pray that, that you would enlighten the eyes of our hearts, that we might know it is the hope of our calling. And, and, and in that knowing, might just see, man, how nonsensical it is for us to stay enslaved to these false hopes, driven by things that don't satisfy and, and sap our energy and rob our joy and block us from experiencing your glory. Lord, enlighten our eyes that we might see the beauty of Jesus and in seeing his beauty be attracted to that glory. You guys take a few minutes and pray. We'll share communion in just a moment.